And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, presented by Two True Freaks. I am your host, Dave. Just Dave. No, I'm seriously, I'm J. David Weeder. I don't want Ron Sadowski sending me a cease and desist order. I know he has people. Very powerful people. Beyond the threat of legal action, this is the podcast all about Marvel Comics Daredevil. And if you were expecting an Evil Knievel podcast, please see the fine print. And last week, I missed an episode. Mia culpa. It was unexpected. There's no great tragedy, no drama, just timing. I just had to nail down some financial matters, and that took a chunk out of my prep time. So I called an audible because I just didn't really want to try and push out an episode, don't want to crap those out. I didn't want it to be extremely rushed, it would just not feel right. But if you want something more glamorous, I can give you that. The head of a major crime family in my small town has been making moves to expand their territory. So I had to rush in, billy club in hand, and disassemble his organization single-handedly and make sure that he didn't criminalize the fried chicken trade in the Midwest. I was so injured that I had to meditate to heal up, and I didn't get to sit down and do the notes for last week's episode. Now, the second story sounds cooler and makes me look better, so feel free to run with that if you want to stomach the image of me in a compression shirt or tights. But reality is, it's just I had to adult. I don't like to adult. Not fun. But I sometimes have to do it. Either way, this has kind of tweaked the schedule a bit, so there will still be a two-week break immediately following next week's episode, because I'll be on vacation for a large portion of that, so no time to prep. But on May 8th, rather than the originally slated May 1st, we will pick up with the coverage on Guardian Devil, and this is going to be a full coverage series. I will be looking at the original eight issues as well as the one-half and zero installments. I'll also be taking a look at the audio drama from Graphic Audio. To that end, this is going to be one of the most well-documented runs I've ever had the privilege of covering. There's a lot of material to look into, and I found so much insight that I'm really digging out a lot of things, including art references, so I think you're really going to love this. In just the preliminary work that I've done so far, it seems like this will be one of the show's most epic pieces of comic coverage, and that puts us in line for episode 100. So this week and next week, episodes will be released as normal. There'll be a two-week break, and then from episodes 86 to 100, no breaks, straight through. I still have no idea what I'm covering for episode 100. I have some ideas floating around. I just don't know if it's something I could be able to work out. But that's in the future. For now, I'm concentrating on finishing up the ongoing discussion on Daredevil Yellow, and then it's on to Guardian Devil for nine weeks. To that end, I propose diving into this week's issue, but first, a podcast promo for The Bad Advice Show, and then Daredevil Yellow number five. friends. It's your old pal, Adam Worth. You may remember me from podcasts like Comic Book Fight Club, The Quantum Cast, and the thousands of other shows I somehow get roped into making guest appearances on. The podcasting world has been very good to me, and I feel it's about time that I give back. So coming this spring, I'll be helping to make the world a better place with my new show, The Bad Advice Show. Join me and a few <clears throat> choice 
panelists as we answer your questions on life, love, relationships, history, life hacks, and politics. Really, whatever topics you feel you would like to get my valued opinion on. So hop on the advice train as we make the world a better place coming this spring to an internet streaming device near you. To have your questions answered on The Bad Advice Show, send us an email at thebadadviceshow at yahoo.com. That's thebadadviceshow at yahoo.com. And remember, kids, if you want to remain anonymous, don't tell me your name. Through his letters to the deceased Karen Page, Daredevil is remembering his earliest adventures as a form of catharsis. So far, we have revisited the death of Jack Murdoch and Matt suiting up to seek justice for his father, which ended with both killers dead, one by heart attack, one by electric chair. Meanwhile, Matt and Foggy have established their law firm, Nelson and Murdoch, and hired Karen Page to be their secretary. A woman named Grace arrived, mentioning that a man discovered a deep secret that she held and was looking for the firm to help her. But in turn, that man later arrived to refute the claim and seek Nelson and Murdoch as his lawyers. And that man was the villainous owl, who will be the central figure in this week's issue, which is Daredevil Yellow number 5, the December 2001 issue. And of course, we have the Tim Sale cover showing under a light gray sky. We have Matt and Foggy walking down the steps of a courthouse as the washed out, extremely ghostly image of Daredevil looms in the sky. This cover kind of changes the scheme a bit in terms of color and staging. The color omits the traditional yellow we've seen on previous issues and instead uses this murky whitish gray scheme evoking a rainy day or a snowy day. And while that's different to the exterior, the cover to number two used this exact same tone for Fogwell's Gym, an interior scene that's in Daredevil Yellow number two's cover. So it's just inverted. And like that cover, the figures in the scene are noticeably smaller than most of the other layouts. However, this color doesn't have the oomph of issue two, nor the heart of Matt and Foggy on the steps of Nelson and Murdoch in issue number three's cover. Certainly there is a hint of seasons changing with the bare trees and hints of snow on the ground, but it just isn't very exciting. Nothing really grabs the eye nor keeps the reader's attention. I like the theme of changing seasons, as this team has used that before, and it works with the neophyte Daredevil kind of learning to live in this new world that he's created, as it slowly grows and expands around him. But just not a great cover. And inside this cover, we have a story entitled Against the Ropes, written by Jeff Loeb, with art by Tim Sale, letters by Wes Abbott, and colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Again, it's reprinted in the Daredevil Yellow hardcover trade paperback as well, and available for sale on Comixology and Marvel app. You can get the trade or the singles, and it's also on Marvel Unlimited. As we open the story, Karen Page is gone. The owl has taken her, leaving Daredevil to search the entire island of Manhattan for his love. Perched atop the Empire State Building, the man without fear is afraid. He may never find her in the vast sea of the city. But as he trains his senses, they slowly filter out all of the other sounds, the traffic, the many, many voices, and slowly he is able to pinpoint the one voice in thousands, Karen's. She's in the clutches of the owl, and once Daredevil has her location, he swings, leaps, flips, and runs to rescue her, which is where we will take a moment to talk about this opening. Despite the kinetic panels of Daredevil swinging and bounding around the city, this opening sequence has the emotional impact of a sledgehammer to the heart. The very first page is Daredevil in a black void saying, Karen, where are you? While the captions have Matt admitting that Karen is never coming back. He lost her. This puts the whole scene into a new context, one where the reader is unsure of what is actually being seen on the page here. This is an exciting rescue? Maybe. Is it a huge metaphor for Matt struggling to come to terms with the reality that Karen is gone for good? Probably. 
I'm still fairly convinced that what we're seeing here is a lucid, dreaming, free-flow exploration of Matt's subconscious. I'm more convinced of that than ever. We have the Black Void carried out in this massive city as close to a literal needle in a haystack as one can get before the metaphor just becomes cliché. The island of Manhattan is about 22 miles worth of land and holds over a million people in countless buildings and Daredevil's trying to find one voice in all of this in a city that never sleeps. Now sure, as Matt points out, this time of night, uh, late night, early morning hour, it does see the city slow down, but that's like a train going from 65 to 30. Go ahead, jump out. Either speed, see how it works out for you. But I have to say this isn't just pure speculation on my part. The original Daredevil number three, the first owl story, actually backs me up on the sort of idea that Matt's not quite remembering things as they were. That's because in the original, Daredevil would have no trouble finding Karen. It would be very easy since Daredevil was captured with her. Unlike the scene in the Marlin Cafe or the interaction with the Fantastic Four, this dream or daydream, whatever you want to call it, just run with it. It isn't about something within Matt, it's about something Matt is without. The final stage of the five stages of grief is acceptance. Understanding that this person is gone, they're not coming back, they're not going to be in our lives anymore. Now, once you hit acceptance, it doesn't mean the end of sadness. Somebody once told me that, you know, you don't stop missing the people you've lost, you just, you get used to missing them. Basically, we just hit a point where we understand, we get it, and we can begin to move on. And with the scene we're seeing here, Matt is throwing a Hail Mary pass at denial. With a side of deal-making, it's the final challenge to truly moving on in a world without Karen page. He rescued her countless times. He's brought her home safe every time, but her luck ran out. Those countless times are what is beating Daredevil over the head. Why did he succeed here and fail another place? Now, despite the fact that he knows and outright says Karen is gone and she isn't coming back, the mad of a dream, like yesteryear, goes chasing after her. Almost as if he is saying she's dead with his lips, but his soul still believes that there's some minute tiny sliver of hope, even if it's impossible. And in fairness, in the Marvel Universe, stranger things have happened. But ultimately, Matt's mind is merging his own dreamlike process with a real memory, and Matt's willing to let it play out because this memory has a happy ending, and his present doesn't. Now, is it possible that Freud's saying that sometimes a cigar is just a cigar applies here? Sure. This could be a simple search for Karen in the past, with Matt scaling the highest building in the center of Manhattan and catching the voice of Karen. So what if it conflicts with the original story? It's dynamic, right? It looks great. The grays make this genuinely stand out. However, it just doesn't jive with me. It just doesn't. I just don't buy that this is supposed to be a literal memory. This is how it happened. Yes, you can revive things. Things are retconned all the time, but the symbolism is just too obvious to me. Not in a bad way, well, in certain parts, but we're getting to that later. I'm jumping ahead. But the symbolism is just right there, right in front of my face. And the line that seals it for me and ties it back to where Matt was in issue one is when Matt mentions that his dad told him that he could do anything if he wasn't afraid. Tying it directly back to the first page of the first issue, that which started with the words, Dear Karen, I'm afraid. This is the moment where Matt stands up to his loss, and the fear that comes with it and through this sequence, he faces that Karen is gone and challenges it head on. And sure, this has the relative safety of being a memory of sorts, but Matt is overcoming this fear and charging at it rather than running away. The catalyst, in my opinion, is the execution of Slade, last issue, a sequence that shares the color tones of this issue as well, at least with this sequence. Matt's mind took him there, and he was able to face that. Death, and more so the death of the bringer of death in Slade. Remember when I mentioned that death was nearly a character in Daredevil Yellow? Well, death showed up last week, and he hasn't left yet. Matt processed Slade's passing, and that propelled him to really face Karen's death. 
which is why we find him searching for her media res, kind of like the Inception concept that you just find yourself in a dream and don't really know how you got there. What I see in this scene in the Marlin Cafe as well as some other smaller places is a man making his way through all of the feelings he has within the confines of his subconscious. And here we have another level. A whole new level beyond the subtle poetry and pool shots at the Marlin Cafe and instead we have a blatant allegory for Karen's death. Now it just so happens that this plays out in a way that looks great thanks to sales art and is a decent read. So the opening is great. Does the issue continue that? Let's take a look at the next leg of the story to see how this plays out. The owl has manipulated events in his favor, sending his herald grace to garner sympathy and representation from Nelson and Murdoch. Now Karen is his new piece of leverage. The owl has her in a hanging cage in the carcass of an abandoned bank and the owl leaves her in the company of Grace. Karen pleads with Grace to help her but the woman simply explains that the owl got a hold of a secret and blackmailed her. After telling Karen that one day she would know what it's like to have a secret, Grace leaves and Karen is alone and scared. Luckily Daredevil arrives to spring her from the cage and Daredevil makes the error of calling Karen by name despite the fact that the superhero has not met her yet. He plays it off with some flirtation and that gets cut abruptly short as Daredevil feels the owl returning which means they are in danger. And before the owl swoops in let's talk about this segment of the issue. Let me start by saying Grace is important. Not in the way she should be, but in a different symbolic way that kind of supports my dream sequence analogy. Grace was the name that Matt was given for his mother. He didn't know her as Maggie, he knew her as Grace. Now this confusion was reconciled in Official Handbook of the Marvel Universe by simply giving her the name Margaret Grace Murdoch. However, the name Grace is important here, even absent. Maggie would be a presence of sorts in the Murdoch household, and a notably female presence, basically a conception of a female even though she's not present. Grace would be hollowed for Jack and Matt, presumed deceased mother and wife. To that end, Matt would have a conception of females based on the descriptions that Jack would provide, which would seem to have uh, an overwhelmingly positive effect. Jack would probably not want to trash talk his ex-wife or Matt's mother, especially if he's trying to hold down the pretense that Maggie is dead. Now, the reason I mention this is if Maggie or Grace was the conception of a female for the child Matt, Karen took over that role. Not in a motherly fashion, but in the term of an ideal female. And here we have a character called Grace, who never appears in any other Daredevil comic outside of this miniseries, and who plays a very odd part, which abruptly ends. And she's warning Karen about one day Karen would have a secret and she'll see what it's worth. Well, the allegory just hits me right in the face. Karen sells Matt's secret, which led to Born Again. All of this is in the past for Matt, but after what we're seeing here. So chronologically, right in the middle of point A and point B. And this original ideal female who bears Matt's mother's name leaves the story. Just like Maggie left the story. Just like Maggie had a secret. And Maggie was a secret also. This is sort of softening the landing a bit. Matt's mother is sort of a source of comfort. She was there for him in Born Again, as well as other instances. Furthermore, and this is a little spoiler for Guardian Devil, she was present when Karen was killed. This represents the handoff of sorts of Maggie being the original ideal female in concept to Karen becoming Matt's ideal female. They don't play the same role. One is romantic, one is a mother. But there's an ideal female, a female presence, a conception of a female. And of course, we've got that secret allegory. There's that tie between them, between Maggie and Karen, that is made very clear here. Now, of course, Daredevil frees Karen, which in the original comic, he escaped his own cage and freed Karen. But of course, here he's showing up, he's flirting, he accidentally calls her Karen, which almost tips her off, almost gets her. But Daredevil is able to play it off. So here we have basically the rescue happening. Karen's somewhat safe. There's a flirtation. And then this looming danger. <sighs> you know what? 
I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to put my notes away because I'm going to go completely off book here, which is a first for this show. There's something that's just been eating at me the whole time I've worked on this episode, and I got to get it off my chest, and it's going to change a little bit of what we're going to do, apparently. So just going off the cuff here, I just have to say, maybe I'm giving Jeff Loeb too much credit, because I'm applying all of this dream philosophy to a book that may very well be that cigar that Freud talked about. Maybe this is a simple retelling of things. Maybe Matt is remembering things a little differently, but maybe it is what it is, and that would be extremely disappointing. Loeb and Sale have teamed up on origin books, early day books. Nothing in a very strong concordance with built continuity, established continuity. It's a lot of the same thing that Alan Moore does. He comes in, he does destruction stories, and moves on. Same little niche. Now, Loeb did have a great run on Superman, in my opinion, a great run, with Ed McGinnis, where he didn't just take the ball and run with it, he basically plowed and resurfaced the whole field, and that run ended up being divisive at best. But to me, I, I'm, a, I'm a Loeb fan. I enjoy his work up to a point. So I wonder if that bias is coming in here. The reason this is bothering me so much is as I was working on notes for this episode, I found myself pulling punches. See, each episode I've done on this show, I've read all the way through the trade. So that way I get a flow of continuity. I want to know where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going. That way, as we have this ongoing discussion about Themes like Matt putting himself on trial for the death of Karen and Jack, as well as the reasons Matt's staying in costume, they stay relatively consistent. So as I did six episodes, there were two bonus episodes where I redid them as proper episodes. I've basically read this book all the way through seven times, and it's a brisk read. As a whole, it's an entertaining read. However, as much as I enjoy reading this story as a whole... I began to think about the individual issues, which, of course, we're doing week to week. And I began to think of them as the monthly context and just how thin they end up being and how odd the pacing is. And I'm wondering if I'm playing some headcanon into this. The reason I say this is, as I was pulling these punches, it's because next week is very similar to this week. This week, the issue opens with Karen captured by the owl. Daredevil comes in to rescue her, fights the owl. The owl gets lost at sea, much like Daredevil number three, but not quite there. Some small tweaks, and they're beautiful. It's a beautiful-looking book. The thing is, next week, issue six, which the title is The Final Bell, same creative team, the story is exactly the same except substitute the owl with Purple Man. Now, as much as I like the retro theme to this series, this ended up bothering me a lot because I kept thinking, let's save this note for next week. Let's save this note for next week. And as those notes for next week started piling up and I started divvying these, I got really frustrated with this story. So I sat down, reread it from issue one up to the end, and tried to examine it as everything on the surface is exactly what it is. And that brought me to the conclusion that this story falters on that level. And maybe I'm supplying an excuse to accept this story with the dream philosophy. Now, both issues have great moments. Matt flirting with Karen here as Daredevil, accidentally saying her name. Next week is a great scene where Daredevil rushes a food service cart directly into the purple man's guts, saying, here comes Daredevil. But if you omit the dream philosophy and just take it on a literal basis, this series adds next to nothing. There's nothing here in terms of emotional beats that you haven't seen other places save the Slade sequences. When Matt talks to Slade in prison, when Matt sees Slade get executed, those are emotional beats. And as I said, those are the memorable scenes because they punch at something. It's something you haven't seen yet. And sure, I I felt emotion when Jack was dead and Matt was talking to him. But at the same time, I saw that man without fear. 
And of course, I like Matt and Karen flirting and coming together. I read that in the original issues. Beyond sales art in Hollingsworth's cover, the Loeb story, when taken as a literal, straightforward adaptation or interpretation, adds nothing to the Daredevil origin. Even Daredevil Season 1, the book, not the show, the actual book Daredevil Season 1, which takes its cues very heavily from Daredevil Yellow, it had the audacity to add another subplot in there to make it interesting. And that moved fluidly. That moved as a single story, where we move from point A to point B. Here we have this disjointed time presented. We have issue 1 and 2 that form the same story as issue 1, just completely decompressed. We have issue 3 that's kind of all over the place, issue 4 all over the place again, And then we have five and six that not only focus on a single adventure, they both play with the same theme. And I get it. Karen getting kidnapped, Karen getting lost, Daredevil retrieves her. But I can't understand why one piece of Daredevil issues one through six was omitted when it fits so perfectly into this theme of fear and Matt facing fear. And that's the fact that Mr. Fear is completely omitted. There's a mention of the Matador, at least. Nothing to do with Mr. Fear, who would be a great final villain. I get that Purple Man plays into the colors, but thematically, Mr. Fear would have been great. Now, granted, Mr. Fear didn't kidnap Karen. He injured Foggy. But if you're going to set up the dominoes, I can already see how those dominoes would fall. Foggy's hurt. Karen could be next. Matt feels his concern. Catharsis. And here's the thing. When you get to the end of Daredevil number six, let me crack this open real quick since I'm going completely off the cuff. This is riveting podcasting. You come back to the present. The world is gray again. Daredevil's in his red suit. And he speaks of finding a way to forgive himself. As they restore the old Fogwell's gym and hand it over to Melvin Potter to run and it's renamed Battle and Jack's Gym. Matt finds a way to forgive himself. Okay, Matt putting himself on trial resolved itself with Matt realizing he's not at fault. And that's something I talked about last week. But the thing is, there's no connection to that. I don't see the clear path to Matt forgiving himself. He rescues Karen twice. He's talking about a time when he's afraid of losing her. I get that. That's been made abundantly clear. The fact is, what I what I realized this week was that Daredevil Yellow falls apart under scrutiny. It's a great trade to take off the shelf, read on an afternoon, and put it back. But if you try to think about it, it falls apart unless you apply your own logic, your own form of dream logic. So you have to project yourself into this book to make it work on another level. Now, this may be the other side of the coin. Maybe I'm not giving Loeb enough credit that this dream symbolism, the progression of a subconscious mind to an eventual conclusion, was his intent, and it may very well have been. I definitely feel like that is what's being presented to me, but I've not seen anywhere where Loeb confirms this. And even with these nice themes, you get a bunch of nice scenes, of course, beautifully rendered, but you never feel a sense of true continuity from issue one through issue six. It's disjointed. It's a collection of good scenes that do not flow. And this week that really got to me where I really felt like I don't want to do issue six. So what I'm going to do is I'm apparently going to wrap this up this week. Daredevil Yellow is a beautiful series with a beautiful premise. The idea of Matt exploring his early days to find some closure with what's going on in the present. Problem is it never fully follows through with that. It doesn't supplement the original issues very much. With small exceptions, of course. Again, the Slade prison scenes, that whole progression. But ultimately, it tries to put a different camera angle to things and just doesn't connect. It's a collection of scenes, not an ongoing story. It's decompressed and just comes to this abrupt conclusion of Matt forgiving himself without really seeing the way that he earned it, the way that he came to that conclusion, and that just frustrates me. As a six-issue series, this could have been a very large one-shot, 
a standalone graphic novel, even portions of it as a single issue or two of the Daredevil ongoing series. Now, if you apply the dream logic, there's some interesting things there. There were some interesting discussion points, but a lot of the discussion points were things I've wanted to talk about. So I came into the episodes with an idea on what to discuss and then segue to that. Ultimately, it ends up being kind of rickety. It's thin and it's frustrating. As an afternoon read, taking it off the shelf, great. But if you're trying to get some real depth, it tries to focus on character, but never really takes the ball to the end zone. So I guess in final summation, and yes, this is kind of cutting things short a bit, but if you're going to buy a trade of Daredevil set in his early days, go for Essential Daredevil number one. That first volume has the first 25 issues, including the time period covered here and beyond. And that includes the Ramita issues, Wally Wood, and the first Gene Colan issues. Yes, there are moments of real sentiment, but they're not earned. They're based on stories that had been told before. And the more I think about Daredevil Yellow from a critical sense, the more frustrated I get because there was so much potential here. You have a pair of people in Loeb and Sale that love to work together and produce beautiful work from time to time. You have Sale on point, covering a character that seems to fit his style perfectly, and Loeb feels asleep at the wheel at times. Even with the dream psychology applied, there's still a disjointed feeling to it that never really gives you a sense of closure. If you're a Daredevil fan coming into this, that sense of closure is one of the most important things this book could offer. Fans mourn the loss of characters too, and Karen has been there from the beginning. She disappeared in the middle, but she's been a long-standing character. And this was our chance to get real closure along with Matt, to follow the character on the journey. And you know what? When I close the book, I don't feel that closure. I don't want to call it a complete failure, because it's not. It is a good read. It's a brisk read. But it never really gets the heights that it could have. There's so much material in those first few issues that he could have mined and didn't. And that's why I got to the point where I decided, you know, my trip to the yellow period, pretty much done. I was going to stick it out and just kind of do the episodes as needed. But at this point, I feel like I've said everything I need to say on this issue and the next. They both have the same template. A villain kidnaps Karen, Matt rescues her. And somehow through that, Matt comes to a form of closure that I just can't wrap my mind around. If that theme had ended in this issue, I would have understood it. Because this is a dark, murky situation, and the dream thing it just comes to the forefront here. And in the sixth issue, it just feels like repetition. Now, there are some themes I want to explore that kind of came, I came into this series with. We're going to move those to another time, such as, why does Foggy keep coming back to Matt? Well, that's more easily explored in Guardian Devil than in Daredevil Yellow. So again, I'm going off the cuff here and just saying Daredevil Yellow, a very solid lower middle tier story. And yet I see it repeated again and again on the greatest Daredevil stories of all time, and it's not. If you're going to revisit material that's already been covered, show us something new. Show us something new in every issue. Don't just be content to work with what's in front of you, what was in the issue. We've read that. I can pull out my essential to read that. Tell me more about these characters, where they were. Do we get a lot of that? Not at all. So I'm not going to prattle on any more about Daredevil Yellow. This is the first time coverage has really collapsed for me. So it's a little bit of a new experience. But ultimately, it just sat there. It was gnawing at me as I was doing my notes, as I was setting up for recording, as I was sitting there doing my introduction. It was just gnawing that next week I'm going to have the same stuff to say. So why not just get it out in the open and just admit that I became so frustrated with this book in terms of coverage that I'd rather throw in a random issue next week just to have this done. Now, I do want to be clear. It needs to be said that as a reader, will I ever read Daredevil Yellow again? Sure. Why not? It's a great looking book. It is entertaining. But when I apply a critical mind, when I have to speak extemporaneously on it, I just don't feel like it holds up to the test. It's kind of like a balloon. If you poke it too hard, it completely pops. 
And for me, as I was going through the notes here and discussing it, the balloon popped. So I hope me going off the cuff, going off script doesn't bother you. I don't plan for it to happen very often. But in this case, it was just gnawing at me too much and I just could not put it down. The idea, not the book. The book I can put down. So I'm going to go ahead and close out what has become a very awkward episode. I don't want this to sound like it's a meltdown because it's actually applying critical thought to it. But if you want to call it a meltdown, I guess other people would listen. That's not a bad thing. So I'm going to close down the episode and I'll be back next week with a random issue of Daredevil. Watch Facebook and Twitter for whatever I choose. And they'll be off for two weeks and then comes Guardian Devil. Let's hope it doesn't collapse under coverage as well. Keep your fingers crossed, people. Remember, until next week... Justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks network of podcasts. You can find the show's home at twotruefreaks.com. Also, choose to like the network on Facebook. Simply search for Two True Freaks. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash daveweeder, and you can email the show. The address is mail at daredevilpodcast.com. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf. And you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and keep the lights on at 2TrueFreaks at the same time. What a deal. Daredevil and all related characters are copyright Marvel Entertainment Group, all rights reserved. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not draw profit from the references to the characters herein. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes. All rights lie with the copyright holder. Dave's Daredevil podcast is a production of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Until next time, I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.